0: Our message for today is called Redefining Murder. And I know that caught a few people's eye, wondering, how can you possibly redefine murder? But if you listen to the words of Jesus that we just heard, he talks about murder and he takes it and he shapes it in a different way. Maybe expands it. Maybe makes it a little more difficult. To say that even the words we use cause us to be subject to judgment. And so we're going to take a look at those today in the midst of the series that we're in. So we've been looking at this message, this discourse, this sermon from Jesus called, often called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And one of the challenges as we read through these words is just asking ourselves can we do this? I mean, these are hard teachings that Jesus asks. The other question maybe we want to ask ourselves is are these just more rules to follow? And I want to suggest as we look at this passage this morning, that maybe it's something different. Maybe that it's a call to more, but not more rules. It's a beyond way of life, a way of life in the kingdom. So the Sermon on the Mount is this exposition by Jesus of life in the kingdom of God. Life under the rule of God as God begins to change and transform things. The life under King Jesus. And so he begins the sermon by talking about blessings about the way that God comes to those who are the least, and they looked over. And then how Jesus begins to say, we're also invited into a new way of life. He talks about us being salt and light, about being people who are distinct from the world around us, but also people who act as a beacon to draw others in and to point others to the goodness and the graciousness of God. And last week we looked at Jesus' relationship to the law and the prophets. The Old Testament, the scripture as we know it. That he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. In other words, to say, that is what he points to. That the Old Testament, the scripture are all pointing to Jesus. So when he says he fulfills it, he's saying all of it points to him. He's not saying the law goes away. But he's saying that he's the ultimate interpreter. He doesn't contradict the law, as one person says, but but he does not leave it unchanged. He doesn't contradict it, but he doesn't leave it unchanged. He reveals, in some sense, the ultimate meaning of what it means. And last week, we heard about how he calls on people to live with a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were these people's epitome of what it looked like to be faithful to the laws of God. He says you have to exceed that. And we want to say, how can we do that? And that's what he begins to paint a picture of as we begin, continue on in chapter five in these series that goes on, a righteousness that goes beyond external actions and begins to deal with what's going on in our heart. And he does this through a series of contrasts, and we'll be looking at these over the next six weeks, where Jesus says something like, you have heard it said, and then he says, but I say to you. And he makes these contrasts, and they're not really opposites. Because Jesus doesn't say, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say, go kill people. But instead, it sets up a series of contrasts, a different way of looking at it. And in a sense, what we see is Jesus going over the authority of Moses to whom the laws were given. But here's this unity with the law. And in some sense, he's saying when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's setting himself up as the giver of the law. He's the one who is proclaiming. He said, this is what God is saying. This is what it looks like to follow God. And so let's take a look at that and see what, how Jesus works through that. So we start in verse 21. Where he says, you have heard it said to the people long ago. You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And so he takes this, what we, many you may know if you've learned the Ten Commandments growing up, murdering. Don't do that. You've heard that said. And if you do, you'll be subject to judgment. But then he goes on and he says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? That if you just get angry with your brother or your sister... You're subject to judgment. He paints these pictures of being subject to judgment, answerable to the court, in danger of the fires of hell, or the word there is Gehenna, it's Garhenim, the the valley outside of Jerusalem, which was a representation of the judgment of God. It was basically their giant landfill where they threw all their trash out and burned it. And it was this picture of God's judgment. And he's saying, and he looks at the people, and he's saying, now you've heard it said, don't murder. And most of us go, okay, I got that. I've avoided murder. And then he says, but anyone who is angry with his brother or sister, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of us have been angry with somebody in the past month? Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, well, I'm guessing nobody said Raka to anybody <laughs> in the last month or even last 10 years. But if you said, you idiot, Moron, fool, jerk. Other words that we don't use in church. He says, you will be subject, answerable to court, and anyone who says you fool. And this is really just, this is that contempt for someone else. He says, you'll be in danger of the fires of hell. And so here's this picture of what Jesus is getting at. Notice that there aren't prohibitions here. Jesus doesn't say, don't get angry. We'll come back to that. He doesn't say, don't get angry. But he says, this is what happens when you allow anger to overwhelm you. When you allow that anger to come out. When you allow that anger to be expressed towards other people. And what Jesus is doing is he's pointing towards our inner self. What's going on inside of us. And that's the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's what's going on inside of us. What's going on at the root of us. And this is Jesus following in the tradition of the prophets. Who didn't focus simply on what we said and what we did on the outside. But what's going on in our heart. Because when Jesus comes, he's coming not simply to set up a new set of rules and way of living. That says these are the outward acts of obedience. But what he's saying is, I've come to change, to transform, to renovate your heart and what's going on. And he's getting at this thing that anger is at the root of so much wrongdoing. How much if we were to look around the world and to look around, even maybe go interview people who are in jail or in prison and to say, what caused you to do this? And how many would be rooted in anger? Anger at something going on. Anger at whatever was going on in the world. And closely followed by anger. And maybe even worse is contempt. Anger is this feeling that seizes us and impels us. Have you ever had that experience where you get angry about something. All of a sudden you do something you don't expect. Maybe you yell at somebody. You throw something. You get mad. And you say, well, why did I do that? What caused me to do that? And you realize that in some sense, what's happened is what? Anger's taken over. And the thing sometimes we do is we say, well, I, I don't know. That's, that's not who I am. And I like what Dallas Willard writes about this. And he says, no, what that's doing is revealing exactly who you are. We get angry and we lose our temper and we yell at somebody. He's like, well, that's not who I am. And what Jesus is saying is, no, that's exactly who you are deep down inside and what Jesus is saying I've come to change that and I've come to root that out don't be content with just not murdering people I mean we could all sit in church and say yay church nobody killed anybody this week but Jesus is saying no I'm calling my disciples to something more than that because even those who get angry those who call people jerks those who people call fools you are subject to judgment And so what happens is the problem is sometimes when we get angry, we embrace it. That's when the anger, it's one thing that something happens, you get angry and then you kind of let it flow down by. But when the anger causes problems is when we begin to embrace it and indulge the anger and begin to let it feed. And the thing is when we indulge the anger, when we begin to, what does it do? It begins to feed itself and it begins to require more energy. We keep putting more and more energy into the anger. And what often happens is if we get angry then, whatever that little slight was, whatever that offense was that came against us to begin, that made us angry in the first place, it grows in its size, in its proportion. Somebody says something to you, somebody does something to you and you get mad about it. And instead of letting it pass by, you begin to indulge the anger. And all of a sudden, that little word becomes a much bigger word. And all of a sudden, that little bit of contempt that you have for that other person begins to grow and to magnify. Because anger is this beast that continually just sucks in more energy and uses more of yourself. And the wound that we received gets blown way out of proportion. And again, Jesus isn't saying that anger is necessarily wrong. Because there are sometimes things that it's appropriate to be angry about. Jesus himself gets angry at times. We can look around the world and when we can look at a world where people have way too much food and others go without, where governments restrict people and do things, we can get angry about that. But what Jesus is showing here is how anger can become part of this vicious cycle. This cycle of hatred that can at times eventually lead to murder or it can lead to other violence. And when we embrace the anger, it takes over us and we divert our energy to it. And sometimes we see no way around anger. And that's one of the challenges. We look and we get angry. We're like, well, what else can I do but be angry? And again, Dallas Weather, the way I, I like the way he says it. He says, there is nothing that can be done with anger that cannot be done better without it. He said, there is nothing that can be done with anger That cannot be done better without it. It doesn't mean leaving wrongs as they are. But what he's saying is there is sometimes a better way to right wrongs. There's a better way to fix things. And that's with love rather than with anger. And so Jesus talks about anger, but then he talks about this language of raka and fool. And this is that kind of language that Jan hinted at. This language where we use words and we realize that words hurt people and they damage people. And hurt, anger is about hurting, but contempt is not caring. Doesn't, contempt doesn't care whether we hurt people. And what contempt does in some sense is denies a person's humanity. And the intent and effect of contempt is always to exclude someone. Think of the kind of language we use so often or the language that gets used that's language of contempt towards people and how much of that language is often very dehumanizing it makes people as less than human to use some safe clean church words you call somebody a dirt bag a piece of dirt what are you saying you're saying they're no longer human and so much of the language, if you listen to people, or maybe you use it yourself at times when, when that anger overcomes you, how many of the words that people use to describe people are dehumanizing and filthy words? Because it's a contempt. It's a contempt of looking at someone else and saying, you're not even a person. You're not even a human. You're just a piece of dirt. You're a scumbag. You're a dirt bag. This language that we use to dehumanize it, and this is the language of contempt, and that's this language of raka and fool. It's saying that you are calling someone and labeling someone as less than human. And what happens when we do that? It allows us to treat people however we want. Dehumanizing language, and it's been used throughout history. We look back at the wars that have been fought, particularly in, this, in the last century there were labels used to label the other countries and their people. And those labels used were used for the point of dehumanizing the other side, to make them less than human, which made it easier to kill, which made it easier to do. So in World War II, Japanese were referred to as gooks or, or language like that. In The Iraqi war, we had ragheads. And so we became less than peoples so in this kind of language of contempt that speaks down to people. And Jesus is saying that kind of language, because of the cycle it leads to, because of the way it leads, that leads you to be subject to judgment. And this language of contempt is always meant to exclude someone. And so when we lose, use that language of contempt, we're striking at the human need to belong. We think about it in today's world. And Jesus doesn't address social media. He addresses these interpersonal relationships, these relationships that happen one on one. He talks about brothers and sisters and probably people in your own religious community. But in today's world, we have the ability it's a blessing and a curse sometimes to communicate with people around the world, to broadcast our thoughts and our ideas. But how much of our discourse, how much of our discussion, how much of our conversations online or in newspapers, through letters and editorials and in the television, are degrading and contemptible of other people? Think of the way that the different political parties develop names for each other. And the way that leads to this sense of contempt. When they're not Democrats, they're the libtards. And well, they're not the Republicans, they're the Nazis or the fascists. Or whatever other language, sometimes far worse than that, used to describe the other side. And this is the kind of language that Jesus is getting at because what that leads to is this cycle of viciousness. Because what, so ha- what often happens, and maybe you've experienced, what happens when somebody calls you a name? What's the tendency to look back and to respond with the same thing? To realize the depth of the pain in the way. Because when you label someone. When you speak to them with contempt. You're seeing them as somebody less than. Somebody to be excluded. Rather than somebody to interact with. And I know growing up. We often heard the phrase. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But words will never hurt. Right? Who thought up that lie? I mean Really? Because we realize what? Words really do hurt. And there's this pain. And what Jesus is getting at here in part is words not only hurt the person they're spoken to, but in a sense they're hurting you by speaking them. Because as you speak those words of contempt, as you speak those words of anger, it just begins this cycle where it just builds and the relationship gets broken. And so Jesus in some sense is saying, we think of righteousness as not murdering. We look back at the commands and we say, oh, we did a good job this week. Nobody got murdered. But what Jesus is saying is kingdom righteousness is deeper. And what he's saying is not don't get angry, but what he's talking about is a heart that needs transformed. He's talking about working at a deeper level. And he's not talking about simply a list of more things not to do. But he's saying when we're transformed at a deeper level, we begin to change. And so again, Dallas Willery, one of my favorite authors, and he's written an entire book on the Sermon on the Mount called The Divine Conspiracy. And he uses his great illustration. And he talks about going from place to place. And he says when you go from place to place, you don't think about it in terms of not going somewhere else. So in other words, he says, if I'm going to New York City... I don't say to myself, well, I'm not going to Atlanta or London. That's not a way to get to New York City. It's by simply not doing those things. What he's talking about is this sense of, it's simply not enough to say, well, I'm not doing those things, but instead we need to focus on the journey we're going on. And so here's what he says to explain this. He says, likewise, when I treasure those around me, And see them as God's creatures designed for his eternal purposes. I do not make an additional point of not hating them or calling them twerps or fools. Not doing these things is simply a part of the package. What he's saying is our aim is not of simply not avoiding calling them fools. But if our aim is to love people by loving people, then we'll get to that point where we won't call them. I'm going to read that again. He says, likewise... When I treasure those around me and see them as God's creatures designed for his eternal purposes, so we look and we see people and we say, these are people created by God and deeply loved by him. I do not make an additional point of not hating them or calling them twerps or fools. Not doing these things is simply part of the package. So as we learn to love people more deeply, we don't have to think, well, I'm not going to call them an idiot because we love them deeply. I'm not going to call them a twerp. I'm not going to call them a dirtbag. I'm not going to use that language because I love them deeply. And so Jesus then gives us some transformative practices. Because if I were to simply tell you this week, okay, Fruitland, go home this week and don't be angry. How well does that work? Even if you had post-its stuck on your mirror or on your phone or wherever and said, don't get angry. Or if I simply said stop it. Would we not get angry? No instead what we need is. This renovation of the heart. A change on the inside. Worked by God's spirit. And so we practice discipline. Spiritual disciplines. Which are things we practice in the body. To open ourselves to the spirit of God. Things we can do on our own. That then through the power of God. Enable us to do things we can't do on our own. So we can't stop. Stop. We can't change our hearts on our own, but we can begin to do practices that open ourselves up to the Spirit of God who changes our heart to enable us to do those things. So Jesus gives a series of practices. So again, notice before this, he hasn't given a command. He said, you've heard it said about murder, but I say to you, anyone who gets angry. He doesn't say don't get angry, but now he gives some commands. He He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. What Jesus is pointing at is that we need to become the kind of people who would interrupt a sacred act and be reconciled to someone. When he says, therefore, if you are leaving your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. So imagine Jesus now speaking to a group of Galileans. In Jerusalem, there's one altar, there's one temple, it's in Jerusalem. So now imagine a Galilean peasant who lives there, and maybe it's 30, 40 miles away from the altar in Jerusalem. And they make their once or twice a year trip to the altar, to the temple to make a sacrifice. And so they're there, they've gone, walked 30 miles, and there they are at the altar, ready to lay down their gift, their presentation before God. And then they say, oh man, I just remembered, James is mad at me. I'm going to go fix that. So then you run back 30 miles to change and to fix that. And in some sense, that seems ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, who would do something like that? And what Jesus is saying here is this is the kind of people he wants us to become. He wants us to become that kind of people where even these acts of doing something sacred Showing up to church, being baptized, taking communion. None of those is more important than what's going on in our heart, and our relationship with other people. Because our relationship with other people is a reflection of our relationship with God. And so he's saying, I want you to become the kind of people that when you're getting ready to do something and you realize there's a broken relationship, there's somebody angry with you, that you need to go and to fix that. Or if there's somebody who's getting ready to sue you, you're going to treat them with kindness and respect. Now, we all have a tendency to be a little bit legalistic at this point And to say, well, what if I drop everything and go to the person to be reconciled and they don't want to be? Huh, what are you going to do then? Am I really supposed to do that? Do I do it no matter what? And Jesus is not trying to paint the picture for every single scenario. But what he's talking about is the condition of our heart. It's a call to see the kind of heart that Jesus wants to develop within us. A kind of heart that practices reconciliation and prioritizes. To shape our hearts to be the kind of people who naturally do this. And so we can do it by practicing those acts of reconciliation. By finding those moments when... We are in a broken relationship. We say, "I need to prioritize this." Now, not every relationship gets fixed, but Jesus is saying it doesn't say, "Go and make the relationship all right." He says, "Go and try and mend it. Be reconciled them, and then come offer your gift." He talks about the way we treat people, this adversary. Do it while you're still together on the way. And so, what he's getting at here is saying. Jesus is asking us, he's saying, don't simply look at the external rules. But to begin to examine what's going on inside your heart. And then what Jesus is saying, I've come here, I've brought the kingdom of God because I want your heart to be changed. I want your heart to be transformed. I want you to develop that kind of heart that responds out of love and out of grace to people. I want you to have the kind of heart that doesn't respond with anger, that doesn't respond with contempt. And we don't get there by simply him saying, don't get angry, don't, be con- don't have contempt for people. Instead, we get there by beginning to practice these acts of love and reconciliation. And what Jesus is getting at is that we begin to practice those things on a small level. As we begin to practice those things in little ways, what happens is God's spirit works inside of us to begin to change and to rewire our hearts because that's what ultimately God wants is the kind of heart that works this way because Jesus recognizes the dangers of anger and contempt. And so I would invite us this week to invite God to examine our hearts, to help us to see where are those places where we harbor anger, Where are those places where we hold contempt? Where are those places where we degrade and put down other people and make them less than human? What is that anger that we're nursing and allowing to feed itself until it becomes this big festering wound that just we can't let go of? And then to invite God to come in and to begin to change and to transform our heart. To begin to open ourselves up to him to begin to take those small steps of reconciliation to begin to take those small steps of blessing to begin to take those small steps of patience and then allow the spirit to work inside of us to be the kind of people that God has called us to be Jesus has redefined murder in the sense of saying it's more than just our actions with our hands it's what goes on in our heart but then the good news of Jesus is him saying to us that change that needs to happen in our heart isn't something we need to do on our own, but something that he helps us, something that he does for us as his spirit works inside of us. So may we have our hearts changed. May we be the kind of people who love deeply. May we be the kind of people who see others as created in the image of God. And as we do that, the anger and the contempt go away as part of the package. May we, Fruitland, go forth this week and see others around us as people created in the image of God, deeply loved by God and deeply loved by us. Amen.